You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Grinding Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with Todd Fox. And today, Mayor Randy will be Gabby Gap. That's right. But before we get into today's show, let's let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just type in Grinding True Crimes, and there you can follow our page, like our page, leave a comment on our page, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, you can always go to them. Go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and Podvine if you are in the U.S. And for those outside of the U.S., you can listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cash, and Podchaser. Um, we have a Patreon account if you guys want to uh, uh, support what we do. You can always leave a uh, donation courtesy to uh, Podbean on our Patreon account. So if you uh, want to Support what we do. You can go to Podbeam and leave a donation. Whatever you want to leave is perfectly fine. We also um, want to let you guys know that we 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 used to do Cash App. We still have it, but we, we're not gonna promote that no more. So um, we have the Cash App. It's, uh, it's grinding uh, true crimes. We also have the PayPal, but we're not gonna do that anymore. Live show will possibly be next month. Once again, we announced last week that we will not be going live this month due to a lot of uh, unforeseen occurrences uh, within each of us on Todd Fox and, and myself and Gabby Gavin. So the live for this month will be canceled. We are aiming for sometime first week, maybe second week of July. Just a heads up on that. Okay. Okay. With all that being said, did I miss anything? I feel like I missed something. I think you got most of it. I covered it all. Yes, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all that being said, uh, we're going to kick it over to Gabby Gab, and she's going to break down her story for us today. Yep, I have a story of somebody who was living a double life. Mm. Ooh, double life. Yes, this man, I'll give you his name right now, but pretty much so you can picture it. He had a full-blown family. Um, he always wanted to provide good things for the family. So he was living a double life because the business he was in was not really legit. Nobody questioned him, however, as long as he gave the wife what she wanted. Nobody questioned what he was doing, where he was going. Like, nobody in the family. That was just the thing. That's how they grew up. The man would do what he did, and no one wondered what he's up to or nothing. Where the money's coming from, just absolutely nothing. So very very machismo? It, that's the thing i don't think he, it was much of like he was a machista mm -hmm. it was just more of like i guess 
like those people, you know, like what is that saying? Which one? Like you, you don't know it doesn't affect you. What you don't know can't hurt you. Oh, okay, okay. So it was just one of those things where he was like sole provider, but he always like brought a lot of money at some points and then they'd struggle at some point and he'd bring more money again at another point and the wife had her life. They had everything they wanted. He was still there for his kids. He was a dad, a husband, but outside of that, the family was like literally completely oblivious to what was going on with him. So they were like more along the lines of don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. As long as the as long as them checks coming in, I don't care where you get from. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for real. So this is the story of Richard 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 Leonard Kuklinski. Another Richard. Oh, okay, okay. I, have you guys heard about him? I have. I have heard. Oh, I got to say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, now I know exactly who you're talking about. This guy's great. Pretty, this no, no, go ahead. This guy's pretty notorious. Yes, yes, he was known as the Ice Man. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna start with his early life. He was born on. April 11th in 1935 in Jersey City. He was born to uh, his parents, Stanley Kuklinski, who was Polish. He was an immigrant from, I can't even pronounce it, Karwak's Masovian Voivodeship. <laughs> 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 Just put it together and wing it like I do. Like <laughs> <laughs> he's Polish, okay? That's no. <laughs> and he worked as a brakeman on the Delaware Lackawanna Western Railroad. His oh my, mother was. I what? know that railroad. That's what my dad would say. <laughs> <laughs> His mother was Anna McNally. McNally. She was a devout Catholic first-generation Irish-American, and she worked at a meatpacking plant. So, according to him, the family wasn't a pretty picture, his family, when he was a kid growing up. Apparently, the dad was violent. He was an alcoholic. He beat his children regularly, and sometimes he would beat the wife. Stanley, however, was still a child when he abandoned the family. It doesn't, at least the information I have does not specify at what age that was, but he was still a minor when he left. I, I will. Issues. Yeah, I, I will say this about the East Coast back in the day, like in the 40s and 50s, especially. It seemed to be, you know, I mean, you had violence against women and children on the West Coast, too. Don't get me wrong, but it seemed to be a little bit more acceptable over there. It's like, you know, like where because they even had the honeymooners as a show back then. It's like, Alice, one of these days you're to the moon. Like, <laughs> like, like he's going to slap her, you know, and and back then I'm it's like, slug you. 
Yeah, yeah, it's sort of it's sort of like, well, Alice was acting up the other day. I had to, you know, slap her across the face and she got my point and everyone's like, "Well, yeah, you have to do that." But <laughs> it was a thing, but it, it's it's sad. I mean, I'm not laughing at it. I mean, it's just that was part of the culture back then. Hey, make sure you put that you're not laughing at that time. <laughs> yeah. People yeah, seem to misunderstand me. People. Don't go there, man, but you know why? <laughs> you know what? I don't <laughs> Maybe people aren't going to feel sorry for this woman right now. Because mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what she was like. Uh -oh. So he did abandon the family, but he would return periodically. Mm. And usually when he did that, he was drunk, which, of course, got him a beating from his dad. Oh, yeah. Anna, apparently, she was also abusive. She would beat him with a broom. Or broom handles, and sometimes while beating him, it would break of how hard she was hitting him. That's his mom? Yep, that's the mom. Yeah. And she would also use other household objects to beat him. So a piece of roller, probably an iron, uh, a hanger. It's usually whatever they find within their reach when they're mad. A chancla. <laughs> a chancla. A belt, probably. <laughs> but here it is, the thing about her, Okay. What he recalls very vividly was an incident during his preteen years. The mother attempted to kill his father okay. with a kitchen knife. Oh, here we go. She was, this is the thing where, okay, this is confusing to me. No, I'm not making fun of any religion. I'm just saying it baffles me when people are very religious. It doesn't matter which one. And then yet they're trying to kill their spouse. Well, they're, trying, they're probably trying to beat the Holy Spirit out of somebody. I don't know. She was a zealous Catholic. She believed that you had to have stern discipline. And that should be accompanied by a strict religious upbringing. So, Richard was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. He mm. even served as an altar boy. Mm. Later, he rejected Catholicism. I don't blame him, and I'm not shocked. He regarded his mother as a cancer who destroyed everything she touched. I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, we have a religious background, and a lot of time when people who are, you know, are you know raised up in a strict environment, nine times out of ten, they they tend to shut away from that religion, and it's very common. So I, I wouldn't. I'm not surprised that. Um, Richard um, shunned away from that. It doesn't matter what religion it is. I'm not surprised that he shunned away from it, being yeah. that his mother. So, yeah, there's... Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying, being that his mother was so strict and devout on it, but yet still having that that lifestyle that would question it. Like, you know, you, you say you're devout, you know, Catholic, and nothing against anything, religion or anything, but you're saying you're a devout whatever, and yet you're you know, showing signs that, hey, you know, you're imperfect just like everybody else, you know? Yeah, my thing has always been with, with religion. Um, if you, if you're, let's just say if you're, um, if it's made to be a chore, because I, I grew up in it too, and if it's made to be a chore, um, you tend to shy away because mm -hmm. if, 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 you're, you're, if you're getting beat because you don't want to go and you're, you're going and, you know, like you're, you're uh, what is it called? You're kind of going in protest. You don't want to go because of the ramifications or, or you're going because you don't want to get the ramifications. It's not fun. So, I mean, if you're not embracing it because it's being, 
um, forced upon you, then yeah, I, I, I know a lot of people that pulled away because of that. And then also, like you said, the hypocrisy of it. If if you're taught to, to love your your brother like like you want to be treated, but then you you know your brother's kicking the crap out of someone that's in the same faith, or you know your mom's beating your dad, it's like it doesn't make sense. Agree. Yeah, I think it's that like like um when your parents want to raise you like very religious, um, but then the life you have at home it's like very contradictory to what they teach you. Mm -hmm. I think that's when like most people would definitely like decide I don't want to have anything to do with it. Yep. So he had three siblings. This is what this is how his family went down, okay? And they might not shock you why this guy was also something else. His brother Joseph was convicted in 1970 of raping a 12-year-old girl and murdering her by throwing her and her dog off of the top of a five-story building. Oof. What? That Oof. was his brother. Wow. So later on when they asked him about his brother's crimes he replied this is uh richard replying we came from the same father Oof. Well, i mean they must have seen some things so he was already i mean usually you see like in bad upbringing somebody's gonna turn out to be bad not everybody becomes a murderer though but it seems like he was kind of like saying they inherited that from the family yeah wow. so I'm gonna take you into the first crimes he committed in the mid 1960s he worked at the Manhattan Film Lab through the lab he started getting master copies of popular films and then he made bootleg copies of Disney films he also discovered a market for tapes like you know pornography movies copying and distributing pornography that was something that was his regular source of income so that's what he was in in distributing films so he was a bootlegger yes so throughout the stories when you see his crimes it had a lot to do with him meeting up um potential customers that were going to purchase pallets of these films mm. yeah he would sell them like in big quantities i mean you might as well if you're doing something illegal well i do the chump change when you can go big mm -hmm. well one time he was arrested for passing a bad check the only crime he was charged with prior you know to everything else that's about to come up he was photographed fingerprinted but the charges were dropped after he agreed to pay back the money that he owed mm. and you're gonna see that several of the men that he killed it was people that he met like i told you through trafficking the pornography and even drugs so this was no saint nick yes he also um he had a burglary group and the people involved were gary smith barbara deppner daniel deppner and percy house mm. so remember these names smith Deppner, female, male, and house. Oh, yeah, a female accomplice. Yes. Oh, I don't, I'm not sure if Barbara and him were siblings or if it was a wife and husband, to be honest. I don't I don't remember that. 
So mm. we're gonna start with January 30th, 1980. He killed George Meliband during a meeting that he met up with him to sell him the tapes. He called this guy. I can't quite remember if it was through acquaintances or because um, he had met him somehow and he got a call that he had the tapes and he was going to meet up with him. This man was carrying with him $27,000. Wow. That's that could, that could change your life back in the 80s. That's the deal they were going to make. A week later, that man's body was discovered. He had placed it in a 55-gallon drum, and he left it near the Chemitex chemical plant in Jersey City. Hey, a 55-gallon drum. Yes, this was on February 5th, 1980, when they discovered him. What do you guys think he did to him in order to fit him in the barrel? <laughs> there's, there's many things, but... I... <sighs> I think he just probably broke bones to fit him in there. I'm going to say he probably chopped him up and dismantled him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you guys are kind of like going in the same direction, but he cut the tendons of his leg in order to fit it. So in order so he could bend him, he cut the tendons. Was he big or something? Or the guy big? He, he must have been big. Uh, there's no... It, it doesn't say how uh, big the guy was. But, I mean, it's a barrel. 55, yeah, bro. Uh, I guess even, so. even I probably couldn't... Either fit in a 55. Probably... Yeah, but it depends on really on your size. And then if, if you might have been heavy set or something, how... Mm. So this was Dang. supposedly his first murder. Supposedly. Supposedly. Hmm. Malaban's brother told police that he was going to meet Kuklinski the day that he disappeared. Okay. Later on, because this is in different order, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it as I found the information. Okay. Okay. For this one, later on, you're going to see that he, he enters a plea bargain for some of these. Um, he actually admitted to shooting him five times. And the way he described it, he said it was due to business. Dang, man. <laughs> See, I don't I don't believe that this is his first one because you just don't know like right away, like, mm, I think I'll stuff him in there by cutting his tendons. Like you have to have some experience Agreed. with that. I mean, like Yes. That's a that's a mob type thing, you know what I mean? Where where they found some fifty five gallon barrels out here when we had that uh, that dry spell in the rivers, you know, like dried mm -hmm. up. So mm -hmm. they they found some bodies in there. So they've been doing that for quite some time. Agreed, man. And and you don't shoot somebody five times because of a business gone wrong. Yeah. If you haven't done that before, you know what I'm saying. I mean, you might shoot them if it goes wrong, but the the whole attitude towards it. Mm -hmm. I I feel the same way. I think this guy might have killed a lot of people. I mean, what what could get you to shoot somebody if a business has gone wrong? Like, if you're making a apparently he was selling DVDs and he said the business has gone wrong. What could that per customer do for you to say, "Nah, screw this. I'm gonna shoot you five times." I, I'm just saying. So probably trying to take the tapes and not handing the money. 
I mean, I, should, I might, I might switch it. You know, I'm not going to switch it. My full time to kill you. I think he's sending a message like, "Hey, you mess with me, you get this." Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. I think he killed somebody. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. Huh? Go ahead. Oh no, no, I was just agreeing. Oh, oh okay. what, what he said. What he said. Yeah, that I agree with both of you. <laughs> You're going too far. <laughs> Don't be so disrespectful. <laughs> oh, wow. So in 1982, Kuklinski met Paul Hoffman. Hoffman. This man was the 51-year-old pharmacist who occasionally browsed the store in Patterson, New Jersey, which was a storefront with a back room holding a wide variety of stolen items for sale. Mm. Hoffman hoped to make a big profit by purchasing stolen tagamet, which is a popular drug that I, apparently it treats ulcers. He wanted to resell that through his pharmacy. Okay. So he believed that Kuklinski, that Richard would be the one who was going to supply the drugs and he did badger him to make a deal. Mm. He was last seen when he was going to meet Kuklinski with how much money you guys think he was carrying for this one. Uh, first guy had 27000 Uh I'm going to say about 30000 to forty. Yeah, I would say around the same. Well, he actually had 2000 less. Mm. He was carrying twenty five with him to get the prescription drugs from him. Dang, jeez. So for this one, after the plea bargain, he actually admitted to killing him on April 29th, nineteen eighty two. He said that he lured Hoffman into a rented garage. He tried to shoot him, but the gun jammed. So instead, he beat him to death with a tire iron. Oh man. Then he said he stuffed the body into a 55-gallon drum and left it outside the motel in Little Ferry. Just uh, left it there? He just left it there. And then eventually he noticed that it had disappeared. He didn't know what happened to the um, to the drum. So Hoffman's body was never recovered. Mm. Yeah. Probably in some river somewhere. I'm wondering if like there was people cleaning... You know, they're cleaning around and they just threw it in the dumpster. That man's body was probably in some dump. Yeah, a lot of a lot of bodies wound up in the Jersey dumps too. <laughs> Getting crushed. Really? Yeah, a lot of bodies. I mean, yeah. it yeah. still happens to this day. I mean, people will be searching through because they do have people that search, uh, you know, the trash that comes in sometimes. But when it gets to those landfills, a lot slip through the cracks, but some people do find fetuses. They find body parts. And- oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you said something like in Vegas, the, that you know how it's been a dry spout. The river in Vegas, a lot of um, drums are being discovered, and yeah, there's finding some bodies in there. Yeah, that go back as far as the fifties. Mm-hmm. Dang. You might find Jimmy Hoffa in there. <laughs> Now, I think he, I think he's built inside one of those stadiums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's in the cement block somewhere around there, or, or or he's sleeping with the fishes. Something, 
His body ain't been discovered. My thing is this. Um, the way he got killed. Mm-hmm. He said that he tried to shoot him. Gun jammed. And then he beat him with a tire iron, right? How did he... How was he able to grab the tire iron and beat him to death? Like, In other words, if someone is near me and they got a gun to me and they shoot, trying to shoot me, I'm going to try my best to escape. I'm not saying I'm I'm Hercules or anything, but I will try my best to escape. Like it sucks that he got beat with the tire iron, knowing that the guy tried to shoot him and wasn't successfully able to shoot him with the gun. It just sucks that, you know, he wasn't able to escape. You're probably in shock at the moment. You're not really realizing what's happening, but you got to remember he was in some garage. Maybe Kuklinski was blocking the ent- the exit. I mean, I'm fighting for all my life, you know, in that situation, you know, but I, I like I said, I'm not. There's you know. no knowing, though, where this, like, how much this man was. Kuklinski was a very large man. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing, Matt. When you see the picture of this guy, I do know, I don't know much of the story. I know of him, but I do know the guy was huge and intimidating. So He was foot five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he looked scary. Yeah, this guy, you did not want to mess with this guy. He was bad. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just like, dang, that sucks. You know, like the gun jam. Was there something he could have done before he got beat with a tire? And like, man, I wish he, you know, able to escape. It just sucks. So this man was never recovered. It was they found out what happened to him because he confessed to that one. Mm afterward during the 1980s though the gang you know that was burglarizing with him the names i mentioned to you guys Mm -hmm. they were already under investigation because there was this very adamant detective that already had a bad feeling about him and was really thinking he could tie him to different burglaries so he started following along his whole little team the members of the gang on December 1982, Percy House, one of the members, was arrested. He agreed to inform on Kuklinski so that he was put on protective custody. Mm. So what, you guys call them what, snitches? Yeah. <laughs> they also issued warrants for the arrest of uh, the other two members, Gary Smith and Daniel Deppner. So... He told these two to lay low. He rented them a hotel room at York Motel in North Bergen, New Jersey. But here was the issue. What do you think was going on while he had them hiding there? He told them to stay put. And the accomplices? Yes, this two. Mm. Smith and Deppner. He told them to stay put. In the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think was going on? I'm going to say they didn't stay put. I'm going to say they were partying and probably got hookers or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you're I mean, I wouldn't doubt that part. I, but... doubt that <laughs> I mean, you know what? Yeah, if you're going to tell me to stay put, yeah, you know, bring them on. Well, Smith had a family. He had a daughter, and he really missed his daughter. 
So it turns out that during the night, he was sneaking out when Kuklinski wasn't there. He would sneak out in the middle of the night so that he could go see his daughter. I so he would go to his house, quietly go in to the daughter's room and just watch her sleep for a little bit, give her a kiss and go back to the hotel. Seems interesting. You guys think he was justified? I mean, you have a young daughter and, you know, you, you want to see her. So I, I can't get mad at her, him for doing it. What do you think, Todd? I mean, it seems innocent enough, but I know that if a dude like that's telling me, look, it's a matter of life and death, you should stay put and, and lay low. As much as I love my daughter, I'd be like, I'm scared of this guy. <laughs> I'm going to stay put. Well, this poor guy, you can already imagine where it led. Uh. Kuklinski found out, and of course he was fearing that he was going to become an informant and then tell on him and he would get caught. Because by this point, the person that was really doubtful of Kuklinski, I mean, obviously it was his gut, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't trust him and he feared this is the guy leading, leading this group. He had no facts. He had never seen them with him. So he couldn't confirm that it was really him, the one who was running the show. So Kuklinski was worried that he was finally going to get found out. And he had hit these two so that they wouldn't get caught and then go against him like House did. Mm -hmm. So he decided to come back to visit them at the hotel. And according to Barbara Deppner... Kuklinski and Daniel Deppner and even House, okay, the one who was going to inform against him decided that they had to kill Smith because ah. it was a risk that he would say something because he couldn't stand being away from his family. Mm. So Richard came to visit them at the hotel. He brought them food. What do you guys think he did to kill Smith? This is in front of Deppner. They're all, all the three of them are having. They're eating food there at the hotel. Stabbed him. <laughs> um, I'm going to say. Uh, dang, I shot him. So he brought them the food, and in his hamburger, he laced it with cyanide. Oh. A slow death. Well, not really slow, but... That's quick. A painful death. It was painful. And because it was not working as fast as he had planned for him to die with it, he decided to strangle him with the lamp cord to make sure that he was going to die fast. Damn. And imagine you eating a hamburger and the next thing you know, you just, you're just dying. Yeah. it's The thing is that, let's say, for this one, once they had found the body... It was probably going to be attributed to him having an overdose. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't necessarily think somebody killed him. It was ruled a homicide because he strangled him. Mm. And where do you guys think they left this guy? In a drum again? I'm going to say he just left him there. The body had been hidden under the bed at the hotel. Oh. They just stuck him under the bed and left him there. Now, see, I... I could picture the other guy right there when he starts strangling him and 
you know, they're all eating burgers or whatever like that. I, you know, I, I kind of tend to want to think the other guy was just continuing to chew his food. And then when Kuklinski, like, strangled him with a cord, then he's like, hey, man, can you pass the ketchup, Kuklinski? Oh, <laughs> need a little more ketchup. He's like, well, I didn't die. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had to be in on it because he feared for his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the other one was sneaking out. He felt like you're risking me, you're risking him, and we're all going to die. Damn. Dang, that sucks, man. Yeah. So the fact that he had the you know, the ligature mark on his neck, that's what proved to them that this was a homicide, that he was murdered. Mm. So now they have more bodies. After... Barbara did not return with the car to move the body. That's when they had put him. According to the information, see, if you guys look at, um, where was this one on? American Monster? Yes. I can't remember if this is on American Monster. It was. It was put that, you know, that they put him under the bed. But according to the information and what they said they did was that they placed him in between the mattress and the box spring. Ooh. Oh dang! And over the next what four days, a number of people had rented the room. They thought the smell was odd, but nobody said, "Oh, let's look under the bed." Nah, mm. you don't feel that lump. So people were staying in there without realizing there was a dead body under the bed. No. Imagine, come on now, you know what death smells like. It's like I mean, don't. No. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe after a couple of days, there was a couple in there, you know, doing their thing, and then uh, you know they're going at it, and the, the guy's like, "Hey, man, you kind of smell," you know. And then, <laughs> oh, why you know, make that noise? And then the other one is like, "I don't Stop. smell. It's you," you know. Stop. No, I think Stop. it's you. Todd, Todd, you're wrong, man. That's Whoa. just sex smell. You're wrong. <laughs> You're nasty. No. <laughs> Matt's getting a visual. Gross. Gross. I don't want to think about that. I'm just saying. Come on, there's nothing more smell, smellier than the smell of death. Well, manure is close, but death is, yeah, it's bad smell. Yeah, I wouldn't know, and I hope I never do. So finally, on December 27th, 1982, after more complaints were coming in about the smell, the motel manager finally started investigating and discovered the corpse decomposing in the bed. So did you guys think that Deppner was going to get off free? Which Uh, was the one that was staying there at the motel with Smith. Ah... Knowing how this guy is notorious, this Richard dude, I don't think he's going to trust this dude. He might whack him, too. What do you think, Todd? I mean, they were both there when he killed him. They they all hit them. Hit him. Yeah, this guy, if this guy doesn't throw away his candy wrappers, I'd be scared to die at some point. You know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't, yeah. it's not going to take much for Kuklinski to turn on him, I think. Okay, so after Smith's murder... Kuklinski moved Debner to an apartment. So he got him an apartment in New Jersey that belonged to Rich Peterson, who was then the fiance of Kuklinski's daughter, Merrick. Patterson at the time was away, 
So Sesklaklinski had the keys to his apartment between February and May of 1983. They don't even know when he was finally killed by Kuklinski. Uh. Mm-hmm. So the investigators figured that he was murdered in the apartment because they discovered bloody carpet. And they think that he enlisted Patterson's help to dispose of the body, telling Patterson that the victim was a friend in trouble with the law enforcement and someone broke in and killed him over the weekend. Oh, okay. So now he's involving his son-in-law. He added that it was best to dump the body to avoid trouble with the police and forget about the incident. Mm. I mean, if your father-in-law is telling you, hey, I had a friend at your apartment, Somebody broke in because people were looking for him and it might have been the police and they killed him. Help me dispose of the body is probably the easier thing. What would you do? Or how would you react to that? Just disposing of a dead body like that. Like, hey, help me dispose of him. It just, just, just doesn't seem right. It's it's hard. I mean, like like... Can you get to the witness protection program fast enough? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's either you, that's a moment where you got to either be a bad guy for life and follow this dude around and know that uh, you're going to owe him a favor. Or he's going to own you or you decide to turn uh, rat and rat him out and try to get protection. That part. That's one of them questions. That's one of them things where you just walk away. No bueno. I mean, I, I figured that if the son-in-law didn't know who this man, like, who his father-in-law really was, that he'd be like, no, I don't want to be involved. Let's call the cops and let him deal with this. I mean, if somebody broke in, let them find that guy, you know? Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, obviously he wouldn't have known that if he did that or he wasn't willing to help, he might have been the next one. That part. I just think this guy didn't know exactly who Kuklinski was. But he did make a mistake. Oh, Kuklinski? Kuklinski informed one of his associates that he had killed Deppner. Mm. His corpse was discovered May 14th, 1983, after a bicyclist was riding Clinton Road, which was like a wooded area of uh, West Milford, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He spotted the corpse surrounded by vultures. Oh, dang. That's nasty. And Jersey? Yep. So Kuklinski had wrapped him inside a green garbage bag before he dumped him. Later, the medical examiners listed Detner's cause of death that it was undetermined. Although they did know that there was pink spots on his skin, which is a possible sign of cyanide poisoning. So as you guys can see now, cyanide is his preferred weapon. He was also strangler, strangled. <laughs> he was strangled and the investigators were guessing that Deppner had already been incapacitated either by poison because he had parsed. Sorry, you guys. My brain has been overworked. I'm having a hard time pronouncing today. Uh Because the partially eaten corpse had no defensive wounds. Ooh. And they figured that healthy adult men are rarely killed by strangulation. True. True. Obviously, he would have fought back. So they think, obvious that that's why he was already poisoned with the cyanide when he was strangled. Just like he did to Smith. That's weak. 
The examiner also found that his stomach was full of undigested food. So that indicated that he had died shortly after he had ate. The beans that he had eaten were burned. So they reasoned that the meal was home cooked because obviously well, a restaurant's not going to give you burnt beans. That part. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you'll get some burnt food. Yeah, but not no frijoles. But the investigating officers discovered the corpse only three miles away from the ranch where Kuklinski's family usually went horseback riding. Oh, you dirty dog. So this is the third associate to be found dead of his associates. Mm. Next, September 25th, 1983. The body of Louis Masquet was found discovered near a town park near Clausland Mountain Road in Orangetown, New York. He had a bullet hole on the back of his head. For this one, I recall clearly, this man was also on his way to meet him to purchase also pellets of the videos. Mm. Um, his son was really working with his dad to you know make money and stuff and he figured this would be a good deal. He told his son. The son didn't have a good feeling about it and he told him, no, don't go dad because you won't guess how much money he was carrying with him. Um, shoot, let me see. I'm going to say about 10000 I'm going to say fifty grand. This poor man took $95,000 out of his account to Damn. go meet him. Jesus. Wow. The son had told him that is too much money. That is dangerous. You shouldn't be driving around carrying all that cash. And he was really worried. I have to agree with the son on this one. The son was right on this one. But this is the thing. His body was discovered September 25th, 1983. This man had been reported missing since July 1st, 1981. Dang, two years? So this guy had already been killed before he killed his associates. The thing is with him, he stored him in a freezer. So he had him all along. Oh, his body preserved. Yeah, because his body was discovered 15 months later. So he did, during the plea bargain, he did admit that he shot him. He didn't thaw the corpse before he dumped it, though. He had wrapped it in plastic garbage bags, which, as the investigators said, might have kept it insulated, you know? And that's why it was partially frozen. Uh The examiner found ice crystals inside the body on a warm September day. So that's how they knew this guy had been kept frozen for a very long time and very good wrapped up. They said that if the body had been thawed before discovery, he probably wouldn't have noticed Kuklinski's trickery. They realized that Maske was wearing the clothes that the wife and the son had described he was wearing when he disappeared. Discovering that Kuklinski froze his corpse encouraged law enforcement to nickname him. That's where it came from, Iceman. Mm. So as the newspapers were talking about him, the title, the headlines, everything was Iceman. Mm. Interesting. Do you guys think we have another body or you think they're finally going to catch him? I think they're going to find some more bodies. I concur. I think they're going to find some more bodies, indeed. Well, at this point, this is the person I was talking about. 
he came he was at the attention of Pat Kane, which was an officer with the New Jersey State Police. The informant, I mean, you know there was an informant that helped him. House, who betrayed him. Mm -hmm. He helped him connect him to a gang carrying the burglaries in New Jersey. Kane built a file on him and eventually five unsolved homicides. Hoffman, Smith, Deppner, Maskey, and Maliban were linked to him Ooh. because he was the last person to see each of them alive. Mm. So they joined a task force and they titled the operation Operation Iceman. So they created the Operation Iceman. They were dedicated to arresting him and convicting him. The ATF was involved because of the firearm sales. Do you know ATF? Yeah, al alcohol, tobacco, and firearms? Yep. So they got involved because of that, because he, um, the weapons that he was buying illegally. Oh, sorry, guys. With all that money he was getting, he was buying weapons illegally? Of course. He could have just, well, yeah, that's true. He got a heal. Never mind. He's a felon. Never mind. So Special Agent Dominic Polyphrone, he was a person that had gone undercover for 18 months in order to apprehend him. Mm. So starting in 1985, Kane and Polyphone were working together with Phil Solimini. <laughs> a close long-term friend of Kuklinski. Oh. Yep, to get him close to him. Ooh. So they found one of his friends and he, along with them, he posed as a mafia-connected criminal named Dominic Provenzano. He purchased a handgun muffler combination from Kuklinski. They so, just, huh? No, okay, so he's getting good with him. Yeah. So he's trying to form a friendship, gain his trust, and like become one of his customers mm. so that they could finally catch him. So they discussed a corpse that he had kept in the freezer for two and a half years. Kuklinski was finally starting to trust him. He told him that he preferred poison, saying, Why be messy? You do it nice and calm. Mm. And he asked Polyphrone, which is the detective, if he could supply him with some pure cyanide because he was trying to murder a wealthy Jewish cocaine dealer. Mm -hmm. So he told him in detail about how he was going to kill him. Mm -hmm. um, and so he was also recorded boasting that he had killed a man by putting cyanide in his hamburger and of his plans to kill a couple of rats. So he pretty much snitched on himself. He, yeah, he was snitching on himself. Really? The ones he was trying to kill now was Percy House, which was arrested, and Barbara Deppner, mm. which was the wife of the one that he killed. On December 17, 1986, Kuklinski met him to get the cyanide, as he planned for the murder. Mm -hmm. But after the recorded conversation, he went for a walk, he tested the cyanide that he gave him on a stray dog by using a hamburger to bait him, and he saw that it wasn't poison. Mm. So Kuklinski decided not to go with the murder and went home instead because he realized that he had been tricked, mm. and he didn't get real cyanide. Damn. Well, that's what he gets, you know? 
He was arrested at a roadblock two hours later. Well, that's what he gets, you know? And his wife was arrested too. What? Why do you guys think his wife was arrested? I was shocked when I saw that and I thought to myself, it's not possible that the wife had no, like, zero idea. Well, I'm going to go off of that premise, um, being that you said earlier that, you know, he, the wife didn't question anything. Just because she didn't question anything doesn't mean that she didn't know anything. So I'm a, I wouldn't surprise me. So you think she got arrested for being... I think she knows something or knew something. Come on now. You can't be married for someone that long and not know a little bit of what they're doing. Doesn't mean you don't question it, but you got to know something. What do you think, Todd? I'm with you on that one because, I mean, some of these serial killers, they use the whole, I, there's there's laws that protect spouses, but maybe they had too much evidence on her in it because I'm, I'm with Matt on that one. I, I think you have to know something. Okay, well, you're both wrong. <laughs> what? Oh, what? Focus, focus. So she was arrested because this woman was trying to interfere with the arrest. Oh, what an idiot. What did she do? She was charged with disorderly conduct. The disorderlies. They found a weapon in her vehicle, a firearm. And so she was charged with possession of a firearm because she was the passenger. Hmm. No, don't take my husband. Take me. I, I don't know. I did it. If I found out my husband is doing this sort of stuff and then he gets caught, I'll be like, dude, <laughs> you, you brought it on yourself. I don't don't pull me into your crap. <laughs> yeah, Gabby be like, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, they apprehended him. They had him. They charged him with five murder counts and six weapon violations. Dang. As well as attempted murder, robbery, and attempted robbery. Officials said that he had large sums of money in a Swiss bank account and a reservation on a flight to that country. Mm. He was held on a two million bail bond. Jeez. What? <laughs> they finally did their job right because you know a lot of times you find out people get caught and their freaking bond is like a couple thousand that part. <laughs> mm-hmm. and they get out so easily then they make a run and they're all going crazy because they can't find him. so he had to surrender his passport <laughs> after he got arrested he told reporters this is unwarranted unnecessary these guys watch too many movies <laughs> He's all trying to play innocent. Mm-hmm. So later on at press conference, Attorney General was trying to characterize like what his motive could have been for all these murders. He said profit, and really? he set individuals up for business deals. They disappeared, and the money ended up in his hands. That's all mm-hmm. he wanted. Mm-hmm. Which they wouldn't be wrong, as we know. You know the lifestyle they had, the horses, the farm, the. Living the life, having good Christmases, that's what he was all about to give his family. And also because he was never questioned, he gave them everything they wanted. Mm. So I, I would definitely agree that it was all money. He didn't care about people. At trial, his former associates, House and Deppner, gave evidence against him. 
So did the ATF special agent. Mm. The case was prosecuted by Deputy Attorney General Robert Carroll. And of course, he had a defender, as they always do, which I don't think they deserve, but... They wanted to argue, the defense was arguing that this man had no history of violence. And they were only projecting him because of his tough image. Oh, God. Yeah. They theorized that Deppner was actually responsible for the murder of Smith. And they there was no cost no um no cause of death determined for Deppner. So therefore they argued that the testimony of Barbara and House was unreliable because they lied to law enforcement officials. Mm. House received immunity from the prosecution for all his corroboration. In March 1988, jurors found Kuklinski guilty of murdering Smith and Deppner, mm. but found the deaths were not proven to be by Kuklinski's conduct. What? Meaning that he should not face the death penalty. What? How much do you guys think he was sentenced to? Knowing this boy act that they're talking about, I'm going to say he was sentenced to 15 years. I think he got life, but <clears throat> I, I don't see how they... <laughs> How they can get away with the, the no, you know, uh, death penalty. Doesn't make sense. Well, for those, he got 60 years minimum. Okay. For those two. After years. the trial, he pled guilty to killing Maskey and Maliban. And for that, he was sentenced to life sentences consecutively. I'm surprised he didn't get a plea deal. So the prosecutors explained he would spend the rest of his life in prison if he had successful appeals to his previous convictions. He also confessed to killing Hoffman, but they decided not to go to trial for that one because they said they had a weak case and additional life sentences would not have impacted his prison stay. I think that's jacked up. Why is that? Because it's like you already got two life sentences, yes, and then you got the sixty years for the other two. And because they think their case is weak, although they didn't prosecute for Hoffman because they didn't have a body, but this man confessed to that one, the same as he confessed to the others. Yeah. He also put him in a barrel. They just never found it. Mm. The fact that they weren't gonna prosecute him for it. Because they figure, well, it's not going to make a difference. He's going to spend his life in prison anyway. That's sad, right? You're not honoring the life of that person. Not at all. There's no justice. Yeah. So they thought it's not really going to have an impact on his stay. As part of the bargain, the firearm charge against his wife and unrelated marijuana possession charge to his son were dismissed. Mm. He was ineligible for parole until 2046, which happened that point he would be 111 years old so he was incarcerated at trenton state prison i'm not done though during his incarceration he granted interviews to prosecutors psychiatrists criminologists and writers also several television producers spoke to him about his criminal career upbringing and personal life you guys will find a lot on like interviews and stuff on him I didn't have the time to watch all of that because that would have been a huge long story to get into 
but there is plenty to find. There was um, documentaries known as the Iceman Tapes, mm-hmm. broadcast on HBO in 92, 2001, and 2003. Mm-hmm. And according to the daughter Merrick, her mother convinced him to do the interviews, and the mother actually got paid handsomely for those. Really? She was still after money. Always about the money. Yep. So, do you guys think those are the only people he could possibly have killed? Mm. You guys already mentioned in the beginning, this cannot be his first murder. Yeah, I'm going to stick with it. I don't think it's his first murder, and I don't think that this is his only first kill. Yeah, there's no way. Because I've heard of one off topic that's pretty bad. Yeah? Yeah. Well, in various interviews, he did claim that he had... This is what he claimed. Now, whether people believe him or not, there's a lot of people that don't believe it, and they think it's stupid. He claimed to have killed over 200 people. As as a hitman, I could easily see him doing 100 or, or you know, like some hitman, and especially ones up to his caliber. So... I gotta say I'm 50-50 on that one. Hmm. What about you? You believe that? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna agree with Tom on that one. What did he say? <laughs> I had to. I was waiting for that. <laughs> I had to. Well, that's what he claims, that it was 200 people. He said he used multiple ways to kill them, including crossbow, ice picks, a bomb attached to a remote-controlled toy, mm-hmm. firearms, grenades, as well as cyanide solution spray, which, as he said, was his favorite. He says he committed his first murder at 14 years old. Yikes. He would murder homeless people for practice. And if that's true, then I'm guessing that's when he would leave home. Mm -hmm. And then return. Dang. What do homeless people got to do with anything? Somebody named Paul Smith, which was a member of the task force, force, <laughs> force. Are you okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> task force. Okay. <laughs> he actually was involved in arresting him. Um, he said that he checked every one of the murders that he said he committed, and not one was true. Mm-hmm. He added. Authorities throughout the county could not corroborate one case based on the tidbits Kalinsky gave. In 2020, Dominic Polyphrone, which was the one, remember, that was pretending to be from the mob to mm-hmm. catch him. He said, I don't believe he killed 200 people. I don't believe he killed 100 people. I'll go as high as 15, maybe. Mm. Allegedly, Kalinsky said that he was a mafia contract killer. Independently working for all five families of New York City, as well as the Calavante family, Cavalcante family mm-hmm. of New Jersey. He said he carried out dozens of murders on behalf of Gambino soldier Roy DeMeo. He was one of the murderers of Bonanno family boss Carmen Galante, Carmine Galante, in July 1979. And Gambino family boss, Paul Castellano, in December 1985. Mm-hmm. For the Castellano murder, he said he was personally recruited by John Gotti, Ali Sammy Gravano, who instructed him to kill Castellano's driver and bodyguard, Thomas Bellotti. Mm-hmm. 
He told Philip Carlo that he was hired by John Gotti to kidnap, torture, and murder John Favara, the man who accidentally killed Gotti's 12-year-old son when he hit him with his car. But authorities dispute that he was actually involved in the mafia. He has all these stories and all these claims that he was involved even with Jimmy Hoffa. Really? I don't know about that one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I tend to believe some of it, but not all of it, because I, I I don't think you can work for all the families. That that mm-hmm. that would be impossible. Well, these authorities don't believe it. One of them, Philip Carlo, claimed. I mean, not Philip Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my note right here. Hold on. <laughs> um. You were saying Philip Carlo? <laughs> Jerry, Jerry Capecci, sorry. Oh, no. I'm like giving him one of the people that died the names. <laughs> yeah. He said, come on, do you believe that? I don't know anyone who believes that. No one. So they were pretty, I guess, sarcastic about it. And I mean, there's no way. Like, nobody believed all his stories. They thought it was just ridiculous. And they were calling him a pathological liar. Mm. One of them said, I spent 25 years in that life on the street. I never heard his name mentioned once. Not once. He was faking it until he made it. I definitely think that he killed more people. I don't don't think I believe 200, though. I mean, it's kind of weird because if he started this when he was 14, which wouldn't be shocking, right? He had left home. Who knows what he was up to? He would come home drunk, get beatings, leave again, and do it all over again. Well, he probably took out those beatings and frustration on people that... He really, said he practiced on homeless people. But I'm saying, you know, no offense to what I'm saying, but most, nine times out of ten, homeless people are not thought of or remembered. And, you know, if you killed one or did something, people ain't going to pay attention to that. So it makes sense. I'm thinking in, like, the span of all those years... If that's the life he had all along, then it is possible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, they're referred to as much as, or they're they're regarded as much as prostitutes. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I, I'm with, it's just they're not, they're not valued as much. So they could fall through the cracks or they're not investigated as much. Mm-hmm. Well... There's a lot of, I'm telling you guys, like this information, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a lot of them. Like a lot of interviews that he did and a lot of people he talked about having involvement with. Hmm. So you guys can go looking for that. If you want to look through Wikipedia or find any other interviews, you can search that on the internet. But so you know now about his family, I'm just going to tell you real quick. He actually was married twice. His first wife, Linda, she was actually nine years older than him. Oh, wow. And they had two sons, Richard Jr. and David. Then while working for a trucking company, that's when he had met Barbara Petrici, which was the wife. So he divorced Linda to marry Barbara in September of 1961. He had two daughters, Merrick and Kristen, and a son, Dwayne, with the second wife. So he had five kids in total. Mm. Did I know that? The wife described his behavior as alternating between good Richie and bad Richie. 
Apparently, the good Richie, he was a hardworking provider. He was affectionate father, loving husband. He enjoyed the time with his family. And she remembered when their daughter was, uh, right after she was born, she became really ill. He actually was the one that was staying up night after night to care for her. Well, that's pretty dope. So, he showed to be a good dad, but then he had bad Richie moments. Which is that he would appear at irregular intervals. Like, some days he'd be gone. One day after the other, he wouldn't show up for months. And he was also prone to having like unpredictable fits of rage. He would smash furniture and then that's when the domestic violence would occur. During those periods, she said that he was abusive to her. One time he broke her nose and gave her a black guy. And that he was emotionally abusive toward his children. America's daughter later said that once he killed her dog right in front of her to punish her for coming home late. He take it out on the dog, though. Like yep. That. His wife stated that um, she had once told him that she wanted to see other people. And Ugh. he responded silently by jabbing her from behind with a hunting knife so that the sharp... So sharp... <laughs> not the sharp. So sharp that she didn't even feel the blade go in. Dang. He told her that she belonged to him and that if she tried to leave, he would kill the entire family, her entire family. So that at that point, she started screaming at him. She was angry and he throttled her into unconsciousness. Dang. His daughter also remembers a number of road rage incidents involving her father. Dang. So his own family is describing him at both, you know, he had the good sides, but then he would randomly have the bad sides. Mm -hmm. I guess it was one extreme to the other. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think happened with this guy? Uh, I'm going to say he was sentenced to multiple life life terms. Well, he was already sentenced to two life terms plus 60 years. Mm. Everything else in the interviews, they don't count that anymore because they don't know what out of that is true. Apparently, none of that could be proven. I'm going to say, so he's in jail. Knowing him, I'm going to say he probably took his life. What do you think, Todd? Death penalty. No, he did not get the death penalty. So he didn't get it this time either. No, he was, he got the 60 years for the, um, Deppner and Smith. And then for the other people, the people that he was meeting for business, that he took the money and killed. Mm-hmm. He got two life sentences for those. So they didn't add, a, they add the death penalty because that's, that's why I was confused. I thought they added the death No, because of the fact that they, they argued that. They didn't have much evidence to really prove that he had killed those two. They couldn't do the death penalty. Hmm. It was just based on his confession. Damn. That's why. But yeah, so I'm going to say he uh, he eventually killed himself because he couldn't take the pressure. Died in jail. You yeah. think he died in jail? Hmm. On October 2005... After spending nearly 18 years in prison, he was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease, which is an inflammation of the blood vessels. And it's called Kawasaki? Yeah. Wow. I've never heard of that. Never heard of it. Uh, Me neither. (laughs) It must be named after somebody named Kawasaki. And as you guys know, 
he What's got that on a motorcycle. Hmm? I said he got that on a motorcycle. Kawasaki motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you said hold on a second. I'm like, I what? Hold, I heard hold on a second. Too. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. I'm like, oh. I'm bad, I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As usual, he's gonna get treatment. He was transferred to a secure wing at St. Francis Medical Center in Trenton, New Jersey. Mm. Although he had asked doctors to make sure they revived him. This one didn't want to die. He told them that if he developed cardiopulmonary arrest to revive him. Wow. His then former wife, Barbara, had signed a do not resuscitate order. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's a monster. A week before his death, Barbara had called the hospital to ask if she wished to resign the instruction, and she declined. Wow. She said, let him die. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, in so the end, he was scared. Hmm? In the end, he was scared to die, and he was taken out. Yeah. So he died at the age of 70 on March 5th, 2006. Yeah, at the age of 70? Mm-hmm. And at the request of his family, uh, the pathologist reviewed his autopsy report. He then confirmed that he died of cardiac arrest and he had been suffering with heart disease and phlebitis. Mm. Apparently, there's a movie on this guy. You guys already know the Iceman. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh-huh. So you'll probably, I don't know if when they make movies, they actually have all the details or it's just, I don't know, to be honest. But if you guys want to watch it, that's what it's called. Sounds like a plan. It's in 2012. Sounds like a plan. Hmm. So family neighbors were never aware of this guy's activities. Really? They thought he was a successful businessman and that's why they had the life that they had. They had no idea that this guy. Some people are so naive. Yeah, I mean, if his family didn't question him, I'm sure he wasn't going to allow neighbors to question him. Yeah, he's not going to run around like, I'm a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she never asked him where he was going, even if he was leaving in the middle of the night. Nothing wrong with that. They did get divorced, though, after all that mess in 1993. Nothing wrong with with that. (laughs) <laughs> Leaving at all times of the night? Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Why do you think she divorced him, though? He didn't pay a credit card bill or something. <laughs> Probably thought he was whoring around. She said that the divorce was for money reasons. Oh, jeez. Mm. She continued to visit him in prison, but only about one time a year. And then on June 6, 1984, she filed for personal bankruptcy listing debts of $160,000. Wow. And assets of only $300. Wow. So that's why she divorced him, so that she could file for bankruptcy because of all the debts he left. Mm. I mean, hey, that's kind of dumb, though. You'd think you'd file for divorce right after because he's a freaking killer. Agreed. You would think. You would think that people think, but they didn't think. So therefore, what do you think? That it wasn't thought out. It wasn't thought out. <laughs> that the money meant more. Of course, it always did. More money, more problems, baby. 
she said it herself that she suspected that his income was from illegal activities, but because of their lifestyle and the large amount of cash that he had, mm-hmm. given his volatility, she never expressed worries to him about that. They maintained the don't ask questions philosophy when it came to his business life or associates. Don't ask questions now. You might get an answer and it might hurt you. I mean, she had the life for a while, I guess, but then she was left with nothing. Mm-hmm. It'll be like that. Damn. Well, that's the story, as I have it, on Richard Kuklinski. Mm. What is it with the Richards? Uh, they're dicks. They're dicks. I, you took the one right out of my... No, it's it's uh it's unfortunate. I mean, they good grief, you know. Um, this guy, it's 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 from what I know, there's a lot still out there. Like, there's some horrific stories about how he tortured some people, but it's again, like you said, it's not for sure. It's um, uh, some people believe it, some people don't. So it's it's hard to say. I mean, he could have a bigger kill count. I mean, like Matt said earlier, like. It, it wasn't his first thing. I mean, you don't automatically put a dude into a, a barrel, you know, 55-gallon drum. You have to have some pretty good experience. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Those are more thought out. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think there was a lot more. I don't know that I believe it was 200 exactly. It, I think there is a possibility. But I also think that it sounds like he made up a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying to portray himself like he was already caught. He was already confessing. He might as well make himself big. True. That's yeah. a crazy story. The Iceman comes. Interesting story. Interesting story. So, thank you, Gabby. Gabby, for breaking down that story for us. Problem. And thank you, audience, for listening into this another episode. Uh, we're gonna end it here, but before we do, real quick, I want to let you guys briefly know where you can find us. Uh, go to Facebook, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. Just type in "Grinding to Crimes." There, you can follow our page, like our page, leave a comment on our page. Um, if you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, just go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and Podbean. And once again, for those outside of the U.S., Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Hot Chaser. So, with all that being said. And a new one. Oh, uh, Zencaster. I'm sorry. I always forget that one. Why do I always forget that one? Because it's a new one. It's the new one. That's why. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, with all that being said, we want to thank you guys um, for listening to us and enjoying what we do but we got that point where we are signing off so uh this is your boy maddie matt along with todd fox and gabby gab and we are out of here toodles peace you'll come back now you're here